0: We're going to read from God's word together now and I'd like to invite you to turn to Paul's letter to the Galatians and Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 19 of this chapter through into part of chapter 6. So we're in Galatians and chapter 5 and I'm going to begin reading at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfil the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Much has been said across the Christian world about the opportunities that this global situation is presenting to Christians and churches. We heard during the week about a WhatsApp group used by university students where unbelievers who previously showed little or no interest in Christian things, or in some cases may have been opposed, now seem much more open to consider spiritual realities. They've been appreciative of Bible verses that have been posted, and some have even requested that Christians pray for them. That's an interesting development when you consider what we looked at a few weeks ago, where the Apostle Paul, at the beginning of his letter to the church in Rome, teaches about the realities of the sinful nature that we all share, the one that we're all born in. We suppress that which we know to be the truth about God, he tells us. Have you seen the images ever of of police officers holding down a suspect on the ground as they try to make an arrest? They work hard at keeping that person down, immobilising them. In our sin, that's what we do with God and his truth. We suppress it, we hold it down. We try to immobilise it so that it doesn't affect us or have an impact on us. And usually we work very hard to do it. But as Paul teaches, we all still do know that God is. And we recognise the truth that the Bible contains when we see it. We may not like it. We may try to deny it. But we know what it is. But when real struggles and dangers come upon us as many feel right now when life as we know it is threatened when life itself is threatened we do instinctively know to whom we ought to be turning for help despite the utter sinfulness of us all there is still that recognition in each of us that god is And that we were made in his image. And that he is our only hope. And suddenly those who had no care for God. Those who've even insisted that he doesn't exist. They find themselves strangely comforted by a verse of scripture. Because they do know that it's the truth. And they find themselves asking people to pray for them. Because they do know that they need a source of help far bigger and stronger and wiser than they are. And they do know that such help exists. All of a sudden, they're not suppressing the truth quite as firmly or as confidently as they did yesterday. They're still very wary, even sceptical. They're still dead in their trespasses and sins, as we all once were. But they're not quite so sure of the ground they're standing on right now. And it's clear to them that their worldview, whatever that has been, offers no answers and holds out no hope. In the midst of all that stands Christ's church and every member of it, you and me. And what is it that should mark us out? Well, to pick up on a theme that I, un- I introduced last week, what should mark us out is that we're not just coping. Last week I spoke about that in terms of your own personal walk of faith in Christ as you learn and grow as a Christian believer But this idea of not just coping is surely a crucial part of your Christian testimony as well. What I want to encourage you in this morning is that as the Lord's people, we are to be those who are not just coping, but witnessing. And I want to highlight three ways in which this ought to be seen in each of us remembering that this is the outworking of our being in union with Christ, as we saw last Sunday evening. Individual topics of Christian doctrine don't exist in separate little boxes which are unrelated to each other. They all intertwine and interrelate and interconnect to form a whole and harmonious body of truth. Sometimes we... Refer to that as the whole counsel of God. And as we move from topic to topic, we're to remember how all of these things fit together in our thinking and in our lives. Well, back to our theme. We're to be those who aren't just coping, but witnessing. And here are three ways in which you might be seen As one who is in that situation. First of all. Witnessing by means of your bearing. By this I mean your manner. Your attitude. The way in which you conduct yourself. We can readily quote 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. At least I think you probably can quote 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 always being ready to give an uh, an answer and a defence to everyone who asks of you the reason for the hope that is in you. Can you give them that reason? Can you give them a defence for what it is that you believe and are hanging on to? We tend to focus when we read that verse On the being ready to give a defense part, but actually, that verse begs the question what is it about you that they would ever ask that question in the first place? What is it about you that they would see or perceive in some way that you have a hope that they don't have? Well, one part. So that answer will be what we can call your your bearing, your manner, your attitude. When Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the Old Testament faced death by being burned alive, if they refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image, it's remarkable to read there of the calm and faith-filled reply They were able to give in Daniel chapter 3. Last week we thought of young David as he offered to go and face Goliath. The whole of Israel's army was cowering in fear. Dread etched upon their faces, but not David. His bearing was very different to the rest. We also thought upon the contentedness of Paul in the midst of sufferings. His singing God's praise in the depth of Philippi's prison. This was not the kind of behaviour with which the jailer was familiar. And how about Stephen? He's standing in front of the council in Jerusalem, charged with blasphemy. He knows where this could be leading. He's in the dock, charged with an offence which carries death. By stoning as the sentence. What kind of state might you be in? Or even me? What would be your bearing in front of them? Faced with that? Acts chapter 6. Ends with these words. All who sat in the council. Looking steadfastly at him. Saw his face. As the face of an angel. And then he preached the gospel to them. And then they dragged him out and stoned him. And as he's dying, we hear Stephen praying that God would be merciful towards his murderers. That's your bearing, your manner, your attitude in the face of trial. And of course, all of that was exemplified all the more in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do people see in you someone who is at peace? A man or a woman of quiet faith and hope in God? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is addressing the Thessalonian church regarding the certainty and hope that they have. That when a Christian dies they immediately go to be with Christ. And all will be with Christ at his second coming. And it is there that Paul says. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. There will be something tangible in you. In your bearing. That your sorrowing is not as others sorrow. You still sorrow, of course you do, but not like those who have no hope. We're taking precautions, the precautions that we've been asked to take during this coronavirus outbreak, but mostly for the good of others, that by our actions others might be kept from falling ill. But there should be something about us ...that marks us out from the world around us. There was a woman being interviewed on the news during this last week. I've got to go out to work, she said. But I'm petrified, and she was really in a very worked-up state. That should never be the manner or the bearing of a Christian. There should be in you a calm repose, a quiet confidence... Which speaks of your trust in the living God. And your trust in his perfect and eternal will and purposes. Your God is with you. Even if you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death. Even there he will comfort you. And even there it can be your testimony. That your cup is running over. You have an all-sufficient supply in the Lord your God. This is what Christian hope is all about. This is to be your testimony and your witness, not simply a matter of coping. So we're to give testimony through our bearing Another thing that will help to keep you from a just coping frame of mind is to make it your determined aim to be a witness by means of your caring. An elderly lady was in a long queue at her post office. It was the run-up to Christmas. She had in her hand all of her Christmas cards that she was ready to post out to family and friends. and The person just behind her in the queue could see what she was waiting for and very kindly pointed out to her that she needn't wait in this huge long queue because there was a machine just over the way where she could buy all of her stamps. Oh, I know about that, she replied, but the machine won't ask me how my arthritis is today. It's all too easy to forget what a powerful thing it is to hear and to know that someone cares. One of the scribes came to Jesus. He was thinking that he had all of his religion sorted, having declared that he'd kept all of the Ten Commandments. And he asked Jesus to clarify just who his neighbours are, whom he should be loving, as in, love your neighbour as yourself. The scribe is expecting Jesus to confirm that his concern should really just be restricted to his fellow Jews. But Jesus leaves the man totally dumbfounded as he starts to tell the story of the good Samaritan. And the scribe's sinful pride is blown out of the water. The good neighbour, even a Samaritan, was the one who showed compassion and did something for him. When Jesus was speaking to the vast crowds in Matthew chapter 5, he said that those who are genuine salt and light in the world will let their light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I don't need to remind you of Tabitha or Dorcas as she's also called in Joppa in Acts chapter 9 who we are told was full of good works and charitable deeds. And what an impact that lady made. What an impact her testimony was by means of the good deeds that she was doing in the community where she lived. Of course, our supreme example is Jesus, who in his ministry displayed unrivaled degrees of compassion towards the poor and needy and demonstrated what it means to have the heart of a servant to all. Here in the Lord Jesus was one man who was willing to touch the leper The one who spoke the universe into its existence kneeled down and washed his disciples' feet. In Galatians 5.22, two of the graces which make up the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives are kindness and goodness. And then in the next chapter, Paul brings this exhortation. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith. Definitely do good to and for the church, but as you have opportunity, do good to all. There'll be few better opportunities than you have now, even under the restrictions that you face in terms of movement and contact with people. Like many have done, we put cards through our neighbours' letterboxes offering help if they need it. We live on a busy main road and apart from the houses directly across from us we don't often get to speak to many of the people who live on the opposite side of the road to us. But we have this week by simply putting a card through their door and they've rung back To say thank you. It's a small thing. But it's not an insignificant thing. And who knows what future contact might be enabled by that. A way to keep yourself from a just coping mentality. Is to actively seek ways in which you may do good to others. And show that you care. Perhaps all you can manage is to write a card or an email or make a telephone call, but do it. You have no idea how much that might mean to someone and it might be a far bigger step in your Christian witness to them than you ever imagined. So you can be a witness by your bearing. You can be a witness by your caring. But ultimately, the goal needs to be to be a witness by your declaring. Integrity of life is of great significance. But that's not enough to lead someone to Christ. Your life may be a compelling testimony of God's grace. But people are not going to know the truths they need to know simply by observing you. Jesus didn't walk around Galilee and Judea smiling serenely at everyone. Even his great miracles were not enough. Paul's missionary journeys, they didn't consist of him going to lots of places so that he could send back postcards and fridge magnets for all the people back in Jerusalem. No, what did those two men do? And countless others like them. They declared the truth. They spoke to people. They preached. They heralded the good news. There are facts and truths which people need to know. There are warnings and exhortations that people need to hear. There is a saviour who needs to be proclaimed. There is a response which needs to be called for. Now, you may not be a preacher in the formal sense, but the Bible does call all of us to be announcers of the good news. When Paul, as Saul of Tarsus before his conversion, when he began to persecute the church, many of the Christians in Jerusalem ran for their lives. And we read in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 that those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now in the original Greek in which most of the New Testament was written, there are different words which get translated as preach in our English Bibles. One word means to herald Which mainly carries the idea of a man standing and proclaiming, like I am now, the way that we think of a man who is a preacher. But there's another Greek word that gets used, which is also translated as preaching. But this is the word from which we get our word, evangelise. And it's that word which is translated preach in Acts 8 Verse 4, they went everywhere evangelising the word. We might not all be preachers, but we are all called to be evangels. Social media and digital communication has come into its own in the last few weeks. Why not think about this as our current situation unfolds? The need to declare the Lord Jesus Christ. The conduct and manner of your life is very important. Reaching out to people to care for them is a huge part of your testimony and witness. But ultimately, all of us need to be declarers so that people can hear and know the truth of God and the truth of the gospel and supremely the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now at the moment, most of the means of communication that you have available are on that little device that you hold in your hand. As you phone everyone and text everyone and WhatsApp everyone and all the other different marvelous things that it's able to do. As your thumbs hover over the little keyboard on your phone screen, why not think like this? Let me, in my written words, display the bearing of a Christian. Ask yourself, how can I do that? What shall I say? What shall I refrain from saying in order that I come across as someone who has a calm and certain hope and trust in Christ? Let me, in my written words, show myself to be a caring Christian. How can I do that? Pause and think before you say anything. And ultimately, let me in my written words show myself to be a declaring Christian. Let me declare Christ and his gospel and the word of God. How can I do that? To whom can I do that? And perhaps even in the street where you live. The colleagues amongst whom you work. Either face to face or perhaps via the internet from home at the moment. Let us not restrict ourselves in these days merely to be coping Christians. Let us be witnessing Christians, to the glory of Christ and to the praise of his name and, as God wills, to the salvation of the lost.